Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Creative Control with Bish Connick. Tyler is a talented musician based in Nashville, Tennessee. Known for his work in the bands Lamb Chop and Silver Jews, Tyler is also an accomplished solo artist and has released four critically acclaimed albums. His latest is a gorgeous instrumental record called Modern Country, which is steeped in familiar folk and rock structures, but is also eerily expansive and hypnotic. 
Modern Country is out now via Merge Records, and Tyler is playing a number of shows over the next few months, most of which find him opening for the Chicago band Wilco. Here to discuss this further is William Tyler. Uh, hi, William. How are you? Hi. Doing good. Nice to have you on the show. Where are you today? I'm in Nashville. How are things going in Nashville? Pretty busy here. There's um, this thing called the Country Music Association Fest going on, CMA. So that's taken over downtown, and that's all uh, you know, country country music artists playing. And then Bonnaroo is going on this weekend, and that's about an hour east of Nashville. Oh, so the city's bustling. The city is always bustling. I mean, the city has been growing out of control the last three or four years, but you know, it's it's particularly pointed. I, I would say this time of year, it's festival season, and it's you know going to be about a hundred degrees Fahrenheit here yeah. the next couple of days. And how long how long have you been in Nashville? I've grew up here. So with the exception of a few years where my family moved back to Mississippi, I've lived in Middle Tennessee my whole life. That's great. Now, I haven't been to Nashville since uh, you know, 16 years or something. I haven't been there in a long time. But when I was there, some of the local residents were kind of bemoaning the fact that it had become so commercialized. I'm sure this has gone on for decades, but they were some of them were referring to it as Nash Vegas, particularly the main strip. Uh, do you do you relate to that uh, sentiment in any way? Uh, you know, people have been calling it Nash Vegas for 20 years, which is so it's kind of funny that yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, I I would say that like I really noticed the difference in the last 4 to 5 years in terms of the in, new influx of people, new construction, the traffic's gotten a lot more intense. It definitely, it definitely feels like a a, a major, I guess, it, a major city at this point. Like it, it used to feel kind of like a small city, and I, I guess it, you know, it never really felt like a small town, but it definitely felt a lot sleepier when I was younger. Now, do you have any? take on that do you, do you resent the busyness do you feel like it's it's healthy like you know it's a double-edged sword when your city becomes busier because it indicates a vibrancy but it can also just you can feel like what happened to my town i i feel some of that i mean i think it's become fashionable to to bemoan the growth like it's it's almost kind of like a broken record type thing that people are saying like oh yeah you know this it's it's all changed i mean there's a lot of change that is probably inevitable with growth, but I'm kind of at the point where I've just decided to embrace the things that are, that are good about it. (laughs) Like we just had a new, um, low power FM radio station. That's free form, um, independently owned kind of like WFMU. Um, it just opened or started broadcasting this last week called WXNA. Um, and it's like a lot of my friends DJ on it. I don't know. There's things like that that are great. You know, like there's a lot of really good restaurants opening here. Um, the traffic's terrible. The rent's gotten a lot more expensive, but you know, it's like, it's, it's a really special city. I mean, there's an, as a musician, I would say that it's probably the highest concentration of musical talent in any city its size in the world. I mean, like that I'm aware of, at least in America. There, there's probably other places that are comparable, but they would be much larger cities. Yeah, there's kind of a legacy of artists from out of town showing up and just, you know, they, they assemble a team of some of the greatest musicians in the world. And, and Nashville's kind of known for being able to supply such teams. Definitely. And I've been a part of that a little bit doing session work here over the years. Um, but 
yeah, there's there's definitely that that culture of it goes back fifty or sixty years. So some of the people that I associate with Nashville include uh, Harmony Korean. Is he still there? He's here, although I think he's moving to Miami. What? Oh, because he made that movie. <laughs> yeah, he fe- <laughs> he wants to go somewhere less trendy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He he's he's uh he's still he's still here. I mean, he's a native. He grew up here. Oh, he did. Yeah, I I did yeah. an interview with him, and it was all a bit. The entire thing was him pretending that he was uh, staking out another person's home because they stole a statue from his front lawn. <laughs> and it just went on and on. And I did it. I I guess other people in Radioland were hanging up on him, but I went. Oh, that's great. I, I went with it, which he appreciated. I like hearing. Uh, because it became very sordid and Nashville kind of became a specter in the story and not just because he was there, but I just remember it being very bizarre. Do you know him at all? Yeah, I know Harmony pretty well. Okay, so he's he likes to he likes to mess with people. That is definitely one of his one of his things. <laughs> Has he ever messed with you? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I mean, like, I, there's there's there's. I would I would hopefully say there's mutual respect there. I, I'm I'm. You know, we have a lot of the same friends in the in the music world. Um, yeah, and my my younger sister uh, Elise is is really good friends with with Harmony and his wife, and yeah, so I know him socially, and you know, like we haven't ever worked together. Well, that's actually not true. We did work together. I was in a com- <laughs> I was in a commercial that he directed for Budweiser. Oh, that was a campaign to launch Budweiser in the UK and Ireland. And it was, so it was only seen over there. Oh, interesting. interesting. Did you have a speaking role? No, it was like a extra, you know, like a, like in a band, like a, a bar band type. I mean, it was, it was a pretty wild experience actually, because it was like, uh, so he, he does a lot of commercial work. That's actually like what he's doing mainly now. And, um, and, but this was like eight years ago. It was, yeah, it was actually, yeah, it was 2008. It was, it was an election year. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so my friend Brian, who plays drums with me, but also plays drums in, um, Silver Jews, we, we're, we, Harmony was like, Hey, I'm doing this thing for Budweiser. I really want you guys to be in it. But we still had to go through this like audition process with all these other like Nashville musicians slash actors that had like headshots and, you know, real, like kind of like a straight laced, like earnest auditioning process and we just kind of showed up brian and i just showed up and we're like well i don't know harmony said he wanted us to be here (laughs) and then the whole thing was like that we were going to be this band but we had to but but budweiser cans and bottles had to be actually featured in the instruments we were playing so we were like a jug band playing instruments that were sort of made out of budweiser products uh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, and then our, our manager slash, uh, you know, C- Colonel Tom Parker figure, I guess was this, um, local icon named Dave cloud who sadly passed away about a year ago. Um, but he, he was, he was kind of like, you know, encouraging us to practice harder on these instruments that were made out of like cans and bottles. Um, so yeah, a long way from trash humpers. Um, right, right. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know how successful it was in launching Budweiser in, in, in the UK market, but Harmony did have, that was my one experience working with Harmony and it was a lot of fun. 
was was Dave Cloud a kind of taller gentleman who wore glasses and would yeah. kind of rant at the Springwater and stuff? Like, would he go up on stage with people? Well, yeah, he had. I mean, he 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 was a lot of things. I mean, and and Dave was real close with a lot of people that I, that are good friends of mine. So I. I feel like I have to kind of be careful how I talk about it because I wasn't close with Dave. Um, I mean, I knew him, but not as well as, as a lot of other people that I'm close with. Well, I saw him perform. I'm pretty sure. I- oh, you saw him there? Yeah, he did have sort of an ongoing residency at Springwater. Yeah. Yeah, and he had a, he had a band called Gospel Power, which a lot of people that have, that have been in the, in the music scene here over the years. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear you passed. He seemed like quite an interesting... Uh, and I, I can say objectively, Dave was incredible. Like he was really a brilliant guy. And, and I mean, obviously like, you know, it, I think the way he put himself out there, it, people re- in, read into it, what they wanted, you know, kind of yeah. almost like a, like, like being like that movie being there, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like people just project into it. when you're just sort of doing outsider art for lack of a better term, I think people project all their agendas into it, you know? Um, but he, was a total, you know, exhibitionist and, and wanted to be, you know, his own version of a rock star and sort of lived it out. It's been a really weird year in Nashville. I have to say, like, they, there have been a lot of, I mean, I mean, there have been a lot of celebrity deaths in the world lately that I know we're all like, I mean, Muhammad Ali's funeral is going on as we speak. Right. But, but like Nashville has been hit so hard in the last year with, with deaths of people that really are like fixtures of the community that like, when I think about like being a young adult and looking up to people that like Dave was one of them that was like seen all about and guy Clark just died. Just Jim Ridley, who was the editor of the local um, alternative weekly here, the Nashville scene just passed away. Like Hmm. it's been a really, it's been an interesting, it was interesting. It's a terrible word to use, but it's been, it's been a really like macabre and very sobering like counterpart to like this sort of, myopic growth <laughs> that the city's experiencing is having all this loss of people that, that, that like really were kind of like the spiritual heart of a certain kind of Nashville that I remember when I've started going out and being a part of the community 20 years ago. Yeah. It's, it's certainly, it sounds like there are many markers of time uh, and it's passage that you're having to deal with. And I think part of that is just, you know, part of that is just life itself processing. And, and that's, you know, of course, like as you get older, I'm in like my mid, 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 say on the, on the other side of mid thirties now, you know, I'm 36. So, um, and when, you know, it's, it's interesting cause it's like, it actually has a lot to do with what the album modern country is about because it's like, well, I started touring a lot by myself kind of three or four years ago. So I was like in, I was like in my early thirties and I was starting to think about like getting older, just that, like, like for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, ah, like, you know, I'm an adult. I'm starting to see gray hairs and stuff, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, that's kind of what the song I'm going to live forever. If it kills me is about, it's like, it's like a playful swipe at like middle age, midlife crisis. But, but I started trying to explore like, okay, well, I'm starting to have enough perspective to where I'm seeing my city change. I'm seeing people that I grew up with, like get old and die you know, what does it look like on a national scale to have that, that story? And, um, you know, like what, what does it mean for like having enough perspective as an adult in America now to where you see things on a national scale that you're kind of losing that are, are things that maybe you took for granted as a child even. 
And um, that's a lot, really actually a lot of what the album's about. Yeah, it's a clever title because you're you're alluding to the genre of country music on some level, but you're really talking about America, really the modern version of your country. Exactly, and 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 you know I, we. I sort of came up for the came up with the idea for it a couple of years ago, and then we we tracked the record about a year and a half ago, and then f- sort of finished mixing it last September. So I didn't, you know, I knew it was going to come out in 2016, and I knew that was going to be a presidential election year, but I didn't think it was going to be as weird as it's been so far. Uh, like, and, and I don't think in September of last year I would have I would have really seen it being like the narrative being so much about you know an outsider on the right wing and an outsider on the left wing having so much momentum. Um, so it, that's an interesting thing too. Cause I think it's like provoked this national conversation in a real active way about like what happened to this America that we used to have. And, and I think it means vastly different things to people on the right and the left, although maybe it doesn't, maybe that maybe there's just this general discontent, you know, that's, well, we're kind of conditioned and, and informed by a media that doesn't really, keep us as well informed as we should be and we learn about this when we see photos of rallies by people like Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders where we think we're kind of told that their agendas are fringe or or don't don't speak for the majority of people and yet they are drawing more people than the, the supposedly mainstream right. politicians so it's it's a weird it's been a wake up call i think because i i don't think that anyone who's reporting on your well i don't think this is i, I shouldn't say anyone it it is very hard to figure out your country uh from wherever you live i would i would think yeah. because what you're discovering is there are whole lines of thought that don't really get reported on that are now coming to the fore exactly and i and i think that's a really valuable thing to keep in mind i've had the benefit of traveling a lot to play music and being overseas during like news cycle things that are really weird and important, kind of like elections or like wars. And, you know, like you see the way it's portrayed in media overseas. And then, and then you see the way it's being portrayed over here. And it's like, you know, it's like, that's why so many people in America who are are more progressive, I think pay attention to like, you know, uh, RT or Al Jazeera or, uh, you know, the guardian or, you know, I mean, there's like, I get my news from a lot of non-American sources because, because the bias is so clear. (laughs) I mean, and as, as somebody who's a progressive, I think this year has been so infuriating because you see the agenda just being so naked about like, you know, okay, they want Hillary Clinton. Like that's, they're going to make it very obvious that that's who they want. And, you know, of course I'm, you know, like I'm not a black and white sort of, you know, burn it all down pun intended kind of person like I, I don't I mean I, I haven't made up my mind if I'm going to vote for her or not in the fall but I mean obviously I don't want Donald Trump to be in charge of the country but you know uh, well the, one of the striking things is that the Bernie Sanders stuff in particular is actual news it's it's right. unprecedented right. stuff it should it be it should yeah. be of greater interest it is weird that the it's sort of weird like i understand why the establishment media would want to go with the established story but at the same time that's not their job they should be really covering breaking news you would think they, that, you would i think, think you know i i would say i'm mean, not to interrupt too much but like i would say that to be totally to, to try to be objective I actually do think that at first it was just being ignored in an almost criminal way. And I think the Democratic National Committee truly 
should be illegal, like it was fraud, basically. Like they rigged it for Hillary. But having said that, he Bernie got plenty of coverage in the news. He got plenty of airtime. Mm-hmm. I think that and, and you know, like as my friends who have voted for Hill who have been like the Hillary supporters, I mean, she got a lot more votes than he did. Like it's not like she didn't steal the election from him. I mean, he she got millions more votes than he did. So, you know, now whether whether that's because he's I think there's there's something to be said for, you know, he was an outsider, so maybe he never really had a shot, but you know, he he was out there, he got his message out there, and a lot of people just still decided they wanted her. So that's that actually is democracy working, uh, as opposed to like let's say thousand where the president was decided by the Supreme Court. <laughs> you know, not not a general election. I mean that's different. Like that's actually stealing the election. So I don't know. I, I've I've mixed feelings about it, I, but you know, I, I wish. Uh, I'm. I, I hope he is able to stay in in the fight, so to speak, long enough to get some of his agenda into the platform, if nothing else. I think that's already happened. She's had to, you know, it's been satirized how much she's kind of adapted some of his ideas and policies for her platform. And I mean, on some level, from where I sit and from my worldview. That's great and healthy, but then on the other side, the other stuff that's being stirred up um, by Trump uh, is uh, scary, I guess. Yeah, I know. It's scary. I, I, I would say this. Everybody pretends to be a historian at times like these, and, and like everybody, you know, I'm actually – I'm not a, a – academic historian but a lot of people are try to pretend like they're historians at times like this and so there's a lot of people i think on the left throwing out these like comparisons to hitler and fascism and like with donald trump and like i see that and i see i certainly see the racism and the misogyny at play in his campaign and that's terrifying and i'm a white person who a white male of privilege. So I'm probably the absolute last person in the world who should be able to comment on this. But I do think like, I think what's scary about Trump is like, like the unknown factor, if nothing else is like, you know, he, he's stirring up all this energy that it's like hard to take him seriously because you just feel like, Oh, there's no way he could actually get elected. But I guess that those are also the times when the scariest people you know, get in power. So I don't know. I've, I've mixed feelings about it. I, I think if nothing else, I mean, he's destroyed the Republican party. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if that's. Well, I, I, I'm a bit confused about that notion, actually. I mean, I think that he's destroyed the party that it wants to present itself to be right. The stuff he's stirring up has always been there. It's just right. now he's doing it, I think to create spectacle. He, everything about him is, is to create, some kind of spectacle whether That's true. and and so when he incites violence but says he isn't when he when he says he isn't doing the things he's clearly and and obviously doing that's to further the spectacle and the conversation and the head scratching but you know that stuff is your your country has a long and trouble troubling history with some of the issues that he's raising yeah that's true so no, I, I know i i feel like it's yeah it's a lot of dormant maybe not even dormant's the wrong word but the Republican Party is devouring itself in terms of they created this – I hate to say they created this monster. That's such a cliche. But um, there's been this all this energy of hatred that they've been fomenting for so, so long. I mean 
for 50 years, let's say, you know, ever since the Republican Party decided to kind of ally itself with the segregationist South, um, you know, when Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act in 1965, there was a real, real like racist right wing shift the Republican Party took then that it has just been digging its grave morally since then. And Trump is like, is the he's the face of it now. He's a manifestation of it. And, and I just don't see, I'm not naive. I'm actually pretty cynical, but I just don't see him having a real shot in a general election. I mean, the only reason I would say he does is just because Hillary has a lot of baggage and is, you know, you know, she's, she's going to, it's going to be a really nasty negative campaign. It already is, but I just don't see him really standing a chance in a general election. No, he's going to be, I, I will go on the record as saying this now. I, I don't think there will have ever have been a bigger obliteration in terms of an election yeah. result than what we're going to see now. Now, people have said from the get-go that we're all underest- we've always underestimated him. I mean, the fact that he's even the candidate is sort of remarkable um, and troubling and strange, but on some level, like, there's just no way. That I, I, this- no, I think it'll be—I I actually really do think it'll be a lot like um, the Goldwater— you know, that that precedent, you know, yeah. sort of I, I just Americans are angry and disaffected, but they're not I don't think I don't, there's not enough of us that are ready to hand, hand the controls over to that guy. Yeah, I just wonder with the popularity and this is not to be judgmental, but with the popularity of certain things that are not really geared towards uh, there's no way to talk about this without sounding like a dick. But I, I, I think that. People underestimate the the popularity of things that aren't uh, necessarily intellectually highbrow. Of course, uh, and I think he's really tapping into that that notion of like he's you know I mean one of the storied things about him is that he has a, a real association with the World Wrestling Federation or whatever it's called WWE, yeah. and right. so on some level that's laughable. On another, it's kind of I don't like using the word genius, but he's obviously been very Machiavellian in what he's done. Like he knows what he's doing. And no, he, 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 he is, he understands the climate of, he understands two things that are really uh, maybe kind of unrelated, but he understands this sort of latent populist anger that transcends um, mass media and corporatism uh, and is sort of something that goes back to, you know, it's, it's like why you see his signs and like, you know, the yards of farms out in the country in the middle of nowhere. But he also understands reality TV corporate. I mean, he is a corporate, he is a corporate shill. I mean, yeah. he's a, you know, so it's like, he understands that world too. And he's making them work together. And it's really is tapping into this thing that actually is pretty terrifying. And, and I, I see why the fascist analogy gets, brought out a lot because it is it's a, it's a very um you know he's 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 ta- he's tapping into some real dangerous archetypal um things uh but but like i said i, I just you know I, I think my 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 father has a lot of wise political um observations and I, well, he said something the other day he was just like you know at the end of the day he was like i just think americans have too much of a sense of humor and to to actually elect, you know, like, it's like, I just think when it really comes down to it, like there's, first of all, we're a very diverse country, you know? Yeah. And of course we're a country that allows Donald Trump to rise to where he is at, but we're also a country of 
people that don't think like him and don't look like him. And, and I just think, I just don't like, that's what I mean. I just don't see it. Maybe I think it's like, I agree with what you say. I think it's actually at the end of the day, going to be a very thorough landslide in her favor. Yeah. And, and the, and the hope here, I think among people probably like you and probably like me, uh, is that the sense of decorum and decency is going to, is going to, uh, be enough to fight off that latent anger you're talking about. I think so. I just, I think he's, He's just really, in a way, he's his own worst enemy because he doesn't know how to edit himself, and he obviously has no one around him who can. So, I mean, that's that helped him win the primary, I think, because the Republican base rallied around him. But he, that's not going to win him an election. I mean, he's got to, like, he he has to appeal to people who aren't, you know, angry Republicans, and I just don't angry white white Republicans, I should say, and I just don't see him being able to reach out to any other group <laughs> in a meaningful way that's going to help him get elected. I can't tell. I'm not, I'm, I'm follow the, I follow this rather, rather closely, but I can't, it, it does seem from my vantage point that no matter what he says or does, it doesn't seem to diminish his momentum. I think that uh, has changed a little bit with his attacks on uh, that uh, judge. I think for whatever reason, I think that's really been a turning point. Uh, I think because now it's so obvious that she's the nominee and he's the nominee and they both kind of have to start acting presidential, although she's always acted presidential to, you know, to be fair, I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton, but you know, she's, she's a consummate politician. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's like, Oh, well wait, so this is really, and the way the Republican establishment is just so like, <laughs> like just shallowly, you know, walking back and forth from like whether they're going to be endorsing him or not. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just, it is such a crazy, I can, I mean, I just cannot even imagine what that convention is going to look like. It is, I mean, we're going to talk about reality TV. I just think the Republican convention this year is going to be grand scale, Hunter Thompson, Fellini, uh, you know, idiocracy style. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, professional theater. wrestling. Yeah, it's yeah. theater. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what it's. I, I think obviously that's the appeal. There's just it's so weird. I've talked to media people about this uh, recently, and they're just like, "Well, clearly that's an interesting story. Like, there's no way we cannot. Av- we have to cover that. What's going on there? Yes. Whereas exactly. the 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 you know the people on particularly in the, the the realms of news satire where and media you know where, where people who scrutinize the media are like you're you're doing this you're the ones who are making this happen like play out this way and and while the media's response is yeah cuz we have to there's no way this gets us ratings this gets us attention how are we supposed to avoid this it's irresistible exactly and that's that's a crazy thing and i mean we're talking a little bit about communication and appealing to people you're in an interesting state as an artist because clearly you have a lot of ideas and thoughts that you've put into this but you're doing so via instrumental music do you have any take on how instrumental music is processed or interpreted because everything we've talked about is on your record but short of this kind of conversation and I, i haven't seen the liner notes i don't know that people wouldn't necessarily pick up on that how do you feel about that I feel fine. I feel like that there is the openness of instrumental music, I think, can provoke very explicit talking points and ideas 
or it can just be literally something that's on in the background while like at a wine and cheese party or whatever. I mean, like, and like, I'm okay with that ambiguity. I mean, like I really, um, I'm, when I was a child, the music that moved me the most was classical music and then like old jazz and like way before I got into rock music. I mean, it's really weird. And I was, I was also like, a, a, a you know, really into history when I was a kid too. So like, so these are all things that I feel like, you know, I was like pre-adolescent even like aware of. And now I'm making music as an adult that kind of reflects that, that has really very little to do at all with like traditional rock music and lyrics and everything. But I would say that, you know, I making evocative music for its own sake, I think is fine. You know, it can be meditative and it could be, kind of nothing, nothingness, I guess, in a way that's calm or, you know, there's no way to make overtly political. Um, actually, I'm not sure that's true. I mean, I feel like there was so much like political music going on in like modern classical music in the 20th century. And then like so much of free jazz and progressive jazz in the sixties and seventies was so tied to like the black liberation movement and was overtly political, but wasn't, you know, lyrical necessarily. I mean, there were moments of it, but um, it was just more the, the the way it ingrained itself with like the agenda of political liberation. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, that's that's all. That's kind of the way I see what I'm doing. Not that I, you know, you know what I mean. Like it's it's like it's there's something there that I feel like is like there's a that's political in 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 the energy that it's coming from. It musically, it might not conjure that at all. Well, it's interesting that you could process the music of i don't know fela kuti or or charlie charles mingus like people who are making statements like political statements with their their work but outside of in some cases anyway outside of reading about those things you may not realize it like it it recontextualizes the music instrumental music when you read about how it came to be and maybe what inspired it it's very it's a fascinating realm because in so many other cases, uh, when a songwriter puts those thoughts to to to, to a, into a, a lyrics, you you also gain insight from those interviews, but you can also figure it out because of the language on some level, maybe, or, or at least have an interpretation of that. So I guess I'm I'm curious about your relationship with intent as both a producer and as someone who processes work by others. Like, do you generally? Th- think about intent as in, in both those realms or are you someone who just lets the mood or tone wash over you uh, more than, than maybe what's actually going on uh, than the literal intent? I think that when I start writing music, it's, I've, I've only been commissioned to do a couple of things ever um, so far. I mean, obviously I hope I get to do more of that stuff, but um, usually, but even then it's like, I have to wait for, I really have to wait for something unexpected to come along to produce a melody. Uh, I don't, I can't sit down and write a melody in a deliberate way, the way I would write like a business letter. And so there has to be a sort of yielding to like whatever force in the world produces music. I mean, if we want to get really spiritual about it, um, it's certainly to me as an outside voice and when that comes to you, then you can work with it in tandem. And and that's what composing is. Now, after that, I would say I would attach my own meaning 
to the framework of what I produce musically in terms of, you know, this piece of music is about this. This is what it means to me. This is what I was thinking about once I stepped away from it and realized that this is where the melody was coming from. So I don't, I don't know if that helps, but that, I think that's what gives context. But I don't think I, like, I certainly didn't sit down. First of all, I didn't write these songs in one sitting or even in one setting. And so I didn't, I didn't think like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make, I, I did, I did like think before I had all the songs together, I'd like to make sort of a con- conceptual album about this theme that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But, but none of the songs came with that agenda, I guess. Well, it's fascinating to me, just given some of the, the people you've worked with, uh, Kurt Wagner and Lamb Chop, I mean, and, and David Berman, there's no reason on earth for you to remember this, but you and I would have exchanged, you know, basic salutations back in. I don't know, about probably a decade ago, I saw Silver Jews at uh, the the Blind Pig in Ann Arbor, Michigan. <laughs> I remember that show. Yeah, it was a crazy show. I'd seen the like- last time the last time I played there actually was just a few months ago, a couple of months ago, opening for Mountain Goats. Oh, at the same place, which is so funny because I hadn't been back there, it, it, like yeah, in ten years. What stuck out? That was the last show of the first ever Silver Jews tour. What? Why did that show stick out for you? It's such a small little bar in a, you know, in a college town, it's just got a real like trapped in time feel. Um, was it a particularly unhinged show? It seemed wild. It seemed like a wild show. I just think that place, cause I, I had the same thing happen to me when I played with mountain goats, like a couple months ago. It was like, I don't remember the silver juice show much, Okay, but, but I mean, I think just something about that place, like, it was so packed, probably both times, but I'm just remembering the Mountain Goat show. Like, I was walking around and it was snowing, which was weird because it was April. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> and, I came, and I came in and it was so hot and steamy. It was like this punk rock sauna. Yeah. And like... I thought was probably a little bit of the way the vibe was the night the Silver Jews played there. Um, that was an interesting band to be in because, first of all, it wasn't ever really a band. I mean, it was just like we were, you know, he was, like we were his backing band, of course. But um, there was always this sort of seething, <laughs> like unhinged kind of punk rock energy that I think David was trying to ch- tap into. But the music was not that. The music was kind of like, you know, folky <laughs> folky indie rock or whatever credence influenced indie rock i don't know um hmm. that's an interesting take i hadn't thought of that i mean like it wasn't loud i mean it wasn't really it, it got loud a couple times but it was pretty it was pretty 
pretty hinged, I would say, musically. Well, David is my, I, I like to suggest that David is my favorite lyricist and songwriter, and he knows this, and, um, you know, we've had recent correspondence. In, in yeah, that's it. he's probably mine, too. Yeah, so how? So that's an interesting thing, where you've worked with one of, I think, the, the world's great songwriters, lyricists, and yet... You know your your own your own path has led you to instrumental music. How how does working with someone whose songs are are so you know have so much fun and do so many incisive things just with language? How does that influence you as an instrumentalist? Does it influence you as an instrumentalist? Yeah, it pushed me away from wanting to write lyrics. <laughs> You're like I, I mean, can't I can't do that. I'm going to do something else. No, and also I also played music for for a while with. Um, Wooden Wand, mm-hmm. um, who I, I also hold in very high regard as like one of the finest lyrical people in America, I think. And um, I just, I don't know, being friends, it, it, same thing with Darnell, you know, like uh, playing music with him or, or opening for him. It's like, okay, you know, like I'm never going to write lyrics like that. So, and I'm not trying to say like, okay, if you can't cook like, you know, uh, like whoever the guy is in Spain, you know, had that like crazy gastro yeah. restaurant that was only open one month a year. Like I was like, okay, you still have to cook. But I guess the point is like, I don't, first of all, I just like, I don't feel a lot of kinship with lyrical songwriting. It's just not something that I feel a strong connection to. I feel a strong connection to the kind of music we've been talking about, jazz, classical, experimental, mm-hmm. folk, and all, and most of it's instrumental. And so like, I just, that's, you know, that's what I've been listening to and that's what I've been spending time with for 10 years. And, um, I don't feel like I had, you know, I, there are moments where I would say like, yeah, I, I could see that some of what I did with Lamb Chop might have influenced me musically, but really not, re- not, not really like aesthetically the music of those guys and their approach to the way they present themselves artistically has influenced me, but not musically. It does seem to me that we, uh, culturally, we are, we are starting to revere mood in music as much as we once did lyrics and language. I mean, the, the rise of post-rock bands and instrumental bands, uh, I mean, it's a steady rise, but they just seem to be, like, drone culture is a big thing now. I think people are starting to relate as much to these kinds of tones and moods uh, the way they did a good lyrical hook. Would you agree with that? I hope so. I mean, it, I, it would be really good for me if that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I would sell more records. I think, you know, it's interesting you say post-rock because uh, when I was in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, I started getting into like the Thrill Jockey and Drag City stuff. That was a huge factor. It was like, oh my God, this music's so compelling and it's not at all like lyrical rock music. And I feel like then it kind of went, it sort of fell out of favor. And now I think it's kind of coming back. Um, but I would say that's a really good point you have. And I would wonder how much of it might be tied to this sort of, um, you know, there's this whole like Marshall McLuhan talked about it a lot, of, like how we're kind of, I don't know what his term was, but like, we're the the more hyper modern we get, we're sort of returning in a way to these old like archaic uh, ways of communicating with each other. I think about it sometimes with like you know um, the way we use emojis on our phones, and where that's almost like a 
like a new, a new form of like hieroglyphs or something. <laughs> like, oh, interesting. You, know, you know what I mean? It's like, or like, a, um, it's like, oh yeah. Like it's like non, non alphabetic, um, communication. Um, but so maybe there's something musical, uh, there's some sort of musical sonic, um, component to that as well. Yeah. I, I haven't really been able to figure it out, but when you, on some level, like here in Canada, one of our most popular bands on some level, like in terms of underground music anyway, certainly one of the most influential is, is Godspeed You Black Emperor. And on, right. so, on some level, that seems strange that a band so enigmatic and so challenging uh, sonically and, and, and visually even, I mean, it seems it's fascinating to me that that band has resonated the way they have. And I think it speaks to, I don't know what it speaks to. Maybe there's so much other talking in the world that we don't need more songwriters, <laughs> you know, like. I would, I would hope so. I mean, I, I, I really feel like that. I'm prejudiced towards that because I live in Nashville and I'm, I'm really kind of like, it's really hard for me to get excited about some song, about lyrical songs. It just is, you know, and I, I have a lot of friends that do it and some of it moves me, some of it doesn't, but. Godspeed is like such an experiential band, I think, not just listening to them, but seeing them live. I think that yeah. that might have something to do with it. But um, I mean, there's there's so it's very immersive. I mean, I think I think that the, their music is immersive just like to see and to hear. And I think that the more, you know, I was talking, I, I've my manager, Brad, who's also the who I co-produced the record with. We we talk, we, we exchange a lot of ideas about um how you present instrumental music in an inclusive, immersive environment that, that like makes people feel like this isn't ambient music. And like, how, what do you do? Like, do you have a light show? Do you have film? Do you, you know, make it like an installation that like is that you're the audience is part of, you know, I mean, I think it's, there's electronic music can get away with it because people dance to it. Yeah, and yeah. they're having this immersive experience, you know, probably on drugs, <laughs> which is, you know, probably it's kind of like I think about the Grateful Dead and it's like, you know, so much of the Grateful Dead's music was was instrumental because they had these crazy hour long jams. But nobody, you know, everybody that was the whole point. Everybody was tripping their balls out. So it's like, <laughs> that was, I don't know how you I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's just I think you I, I know this for a fact, like I feel like when I can present my music in a live context where people feel comfortable being immersed in it. And and I guess that sounds a little pretentious to say, but I really do think there's something to that. There's something to context and pr- the way it's presented. And I think that makes people feel a, like a way of letting their guard down and just being in the music as opposed to kind of like, you know, uh, be critically uh, analyzing it or something. I don't know. It's yeah. it's hard, it's hard to get people. It's hard to ha- it's hard to do it without words. It is. I mean, I just to get back to your original point. And and uh, you you you've you've found yourself opening for bands like the Mountain Goats and, and others over the years. Do you find that your music is getting across to those audiences when you when you face an audience that kind of isn't there necessarily to see you? Yeah, it it works. Like with the Mountain Goats, I found that what I, I decided I was going to do the tour just acoustic, like instead of bringing electric guitars as well. And I did it solo acoustic. I used my pedals, but 
And I talked a lot in between songs. Oh, okay. So I kind of had a singer song. Like I knew what the vibe was going to be with Mountain Goats. Like I knew it was going to be kind of like um, a punk folk like revival. Yeah. <laughs> and John's kind of like a evangelical preacher. So I, I knew that I was going to have to kind of bring that kind of energy to the to the and to the uh, to the to the game, and I knew that doing it with an acoustic would be a lot more visceral than kind of ambient spectral things that you can do with your electric guitar, um, as opposed to like I don't know if I got to open for like Sigurós or Radiohead or somebody, I would probably feel well more comfortable like having a big light show and not saying anything and doing drones, you know, um, but. Yeah, I, it, it's it's all about context, honestly, I think. It's, it's just, you know, you got to sort of know your audience. I think the Wilco crowd is a little bit more up for kind of cerebral, droney stuff yeah. in, in their own way, you know, because yeah. that, that is a part of Wilco's set. And so um, when you take the, when you go on the road in the in the coming months, will you have a band? I will for part of it. I think in Europe I'm going to be solo just kind of because that's, what what it's what it's going to be uh and i will be opening for wilco in europe um for about two weeks and then over here i'm going to have a three or four piece band nice do you have a preference uh between the two configurations Mm, not really because it's so different i just you can do so much more with the band i mean that almost goes without saying yeah it forces me to play differently and that's something i really need to be aware of and uh really need and I need a little bit of practice because I'm so used to being the whole, the rhythm section and the singer, so to speak, um, when it, when it's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when there's bass, bass and drums there, I mean, it, it's like you can, a lot of the heavy lifting rhythmically you don't have to think about. So, um, and you can concentrate more on the melody lines. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like I haven't played with a band steadily very much. I have a band in Nashville. That's not going to be the band that's touring with me, but, um, but when we play, there's a lot more of that kind of Almond Brothers, Grateful Dead kind of energy of, you know, like loud jamming it out, you know, and everybody kind of playing interlocking parts. And then, of course, when I'm solo, I mean, it, it's not one thing. I mean, there are times where it's very Leo Kotke. There's times where it's very Bill Frizzell, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. I mean, there's, you know, lots of different reference points people can use. But, um, yeah, you just you're you do a lot differently solo i mean that almost goes without saying but but i like feeling comfortable i really i, I want to be equally comfortable doing both and, and you've worked with is it glenn from wilco that you worked with yeah glenn Kochi played drums on the record and and uh we haven't played live together but um but darren gray who plays bass on the record and also has plays with glenn in a project called on film war um is going to be playing bass with me a lot in the states in the next year nice so you, excited you, about it. so you got top notch. You need top notch guys. You need the best guys to make this happen. <laughs> I need the best guys. That's right, the A <laughs> list dudes. <laughs> now, you, earlier you'd mentioned that you did most of the work on Modern Country uh, last September, I believe you said, right? We so we started tracking it at uh, Justin Vernon Studio April Base in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. We did it in January of 2015. There for a week in the winter. That's where we tracked it with Darren and Glenn. Yeah. Then Brad and I did a lot of the guitar and keyboard overdubs here in Nashville. And then we mixed it here and also in Durham, which is where Brad lives. And John Ashley, the engineer who did all of it kind of was going back and forth between North Carolina 
California, he was sort of in the middle of moving. But yeah, so we, we sort of did it in chunks, um, which is why it took a while to finish. But it was, I like doing records like that because it, you know, it allows you to kind of step away from it and be like, well, maybe we should, you know, take this away. And, you know, it's, 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 I like that. I guess in a way, like all, all the albums I've done in the last few years have been like that, sort of like they evolved over about a year. Yeah, so we're talking about a year and a half, two years uh, ago now, and and the, and the record just came out, uh, the Modern Country. So does it stand to reason you have amassed a, a lot of new material? Yes, it has, but I am still wrapping my head around how I want to present the next thing. Okay, so it's in progress. I'm just curious if there's you know future stuff coming. Yeah, definitely. I'd say right now I'm working on music that is probably more complicated structurally and compositionally than what's on Modern Country, hmm. but might lend itself to being more like acoustic chamber music. Okay, that sounds very intriguing. Do you know what I mean? Like 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 more moving parts, but maybe not maybe not as much production. I don't know. I mean it's 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 hard to say. It's like I really I'm I wanted to I wanted to get away from the f- go-to reference point being like the solo guitar world. Yeah. And so you almost have to be this blatant to do it. Like, you know, to prove to the world, "Hey, this is what this music can be. It's not it's not, you know, I don't want to denigrate the legacy of John Fahey, but like that's not the only thing that's informing it. But now I'm kind of, now I'm kind of like, well, what else can you do with the guitar as the lead instrument? You know, there do seem to be more folks like you out. Like when I think of Sir Richard Bishop or Glenn Jones, people I've talked to recently uh, and and listened to recently. I mean, there's more dudes doing this kind of thing. There are, and I mean, I would say if if anybody really should be holding the mantle up, it'd be somebody like Glenn because he did work with Fahey. Yeah. Um, but so did O'Rourke and like, it's, it's interesting O'Rourke never gets talked about in this conversation because to me, he was synthesizing all this stuff 20 years ago, like Fahey with Beach Boys and arrangements. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, he didn't really get any credit for it because he never comes up in the conversation. It's always like, you know, it's always this lazy list of like Jack Rose, Steve Gunn, John Fahey, Six Organs of Admittance, Richard Bishop. It's like, yeah, well, first of all, you're naming a bunch of people who none of them play guitar the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, Richard Bishop is one of my heroes, but he plays with a pick. He doesn't finger style. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I don't, like, he doesn't sound like John Fahey. He sounds like Django Reinhardt or, you know, whatever, like uh, Dick Dale. I mean, he doesn't, <laughs> like, I mean, sure. but, but like, to, and but, I love, like, Sun City Girls are one of my favorite bands ever, and I love Richard Bishop's music, but, um, but Jim, Jim has put himself in a position where he doesn't do a lot of press. He doesn't make, much no, he, show no, he, he, sure, of course. And, you know, he, he withdrew very consciously, which I respect from the, 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 the news cycle world. You know, he moved to Japan, he withdrew from, but he's making more music than he ever has. We just don't know about it necessarily because we're not, in that he's just a, he's literally in a different world and that's that's what you know that's what's interests him now um do you know that i spent i think three and a half hours on the skype with jim o'rourke a year ago i did not know that but that's <laughs> that makes me really happy to know that it was really great it was a really great conversation but he and you know we'd kind of ostensibly recorded it for this show and for a print thing and then at the end, uh, I heard back that he was uncomfortable because he was drinking sake at four in the morning. 
and said that he said a lot of stuff that he was regretting, so he wasn't sure he wanted it out into the world. It's a major heartbreak for me because it was such a sprawling, interesting conversation, but sure, I, sure. I respected his wishes and didn't share the audio and just printed up stuff but but my god what a what a guy and that record he put out uh, at the time was is still just it's just amazing the work that that guy has done it's incredible i mean he is just like i just can't think of enough superlatives of of like what hit what what he and his music have meant to me and i really do mean all aspects of it from the harshest improv noise stuff he did to like the most pastoral arranged pop stuff like he he has synthesized and continues to so many strains of modern music that I just can't even think of another person alive that's doing that. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, he's, he's big enough of an artist to kind of know, I mean, it's funny. It's like, it's like, yeah, he stepped away. He really stepped away from like the public, um, yeah. Machine or whatever, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's fine. I mean, I think he's he seems happy and content doing it. And people like you and I talk about him all the time. Like, I mean, he's in the he's in the consciousness. We he's in this world, and and hopefully he's appreciated uh, by more people, uh, you know, as soon as possible. But yeah, he is he is a wonder. It's nice to hear you speak so highly of him as well, because I think I can see his influence on you on some level as well. I mean, it's to me, it's pretty obvious. And even going back to like behold the spirit, there was stuff where I was like, okay, well. You know, if I put drums on this, everybody's going to say it sounds like bad pun- bad timing. And I was like afraid of aping it too much. <laughs> but right. like, but I mean, you know, like that is music that has influenced me. Um, but even more so, I'd say, I just remember like in the early days of the internet, O'Rourke interviews were like priceless, like um, reference point things of like, oh my God, I'm going to write down literally everybody he's talking about, every weird modern composer and every weird Japanese psych rock record he, you know, and then I'm going to try to find him on eBay, you know, because like yeah. they were just like, it was immediately like, oh my God, I found out so much about music just from the stuff he was into. I mean, this stuff, I mean, Brad and I t- were talking about this a year ago, like that Nuno Canvaro record that he he um, reissued on, I, I can't remember if it was Dexter's Cigar, but like, you know, he had a couple of those reissue labels with Drag City. Yeah. And like everything he put out through those labels was like stuff that changed my life. So it's like, um, I don't know. He's just, yeah, whatever. Can't say, <laughs> can't say enough about her. Yeah. Uh, like I, it also is kind of funny because like when we were talking about making the record, you know, Brad and I were like, we got to figure out a way to get Glenn and Darren. You know, that would be such a trip. Cause like they were the rhythm section on all those record like insignificance yeah yeah and like not actually thinking that would happen and then like there was some moment where glenn while we were tracking in wisconsin where glenn actually did um like turn to darren or maybe it was Taryn and me and we were all stoned or something or i don't think darren was (laughs) but but uh so i should be careful who i throw under the bus here um but uh but like you know it was one of those moments where everybody let their guard down and and glenn was just like man we haven't we haven't played on anybody else's record together since insignificance. And I was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's that in of itself was kind of a priceless experience. Well, it's nice to hear you doing so well. And and so, uh, you know, doing this high level of work, it's, it's cool. Now we've mentioned some of your, your tour dates uh, and whatnot. Is there a plan for you to come up to Canada? I have to ask coming, uh, being where I am. Are you coming up here? 
I yes, but not anytime immediately. Okay, I guess would be the short answer. We're um, I, I started working with High Road Booking. Um, yeah, they're my agent now, and but it's kind of a new relationship, I would say. And we're just we're we're feeling things out in terms of um, you know, book looking ahead into later this fall and even into next year, next spring, and. I think one of the new things that we really want to be conscious of and is, you know, I've spent the five years, basically four or five years saying yes to every show that ever came up. And a lot of them were great shows and a lot of them weren't as, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. is this, the process of touring. And it's such a blessing that I was able to like get in my car and tour America for four years, basically, yeah. you know, and, and Canada to some extent as well. But, I, you know, like, a lot of your other life suffers because of that, like your relationships with your friends and your you know, par- romantic partners and your jobs outside of uh, touring and all that. And just in a real meta life sense, it's like I am trying to teach myself how to be an adult that doesn't have to be on the road a hundred days a year. Yeah, you sure, know? sure. Yeah. You know, and like that's tough because like in music, that's, that's kind of how you make your living. But, but the, the music ends up, the music in your life outside of music, I think does suffer the more it's the old cliche, even when you're do, doing the kind of music I do, which is pretty, you know, pretty sane hours of, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like, you're, you know, it's not like rowdy rock and roll touring or whatever, but uh, it's still like a lot of movement and a lot of discomfort and it just, it wears you down and, yeah. you know, and it, and it's, it's not something that I, I mean, I enjoy it cause I love travel. Travel is so stimulating to me, but I wish I could just, I really do wish I could figure out a way to travel maybe outside of music, you know, and then have the the traveling I did with music be more selective and more um, focused. And I think that's kind of, kind of the approach we're, we're taking with this record. Cause you know, as you'll know by looking at my website or Emerge's website, it's like, there aren't a lot of tour dates. Like it's, I think there really is this, this attitude this time of like, well, this isn't necessarily a commercial record. So why don't we just treat it like we don't have to like get in a van for a year, you know, like let's see what happens. Let's see what things pop up show wise and opportunity wise that actually makes sense. And that work in harmony with, with my life and with the music and everything. Um, yeah. I, my, my, I understand what you mean by commercial uh, appeal for a record like this one, but I do think that if, as long as it gets out there, I feel like this is a, the kind of record that will, quietly end up on a year-end list you know i that's my feeling i hope so and i you know i I, i'm all about the what is that term that's it's totally for a different kind of music r&b uh called quiet storm Uh (laughs) (laughs) it's like those isley brothers songs going for like 10 minutes you know yeah (laughs) that are real sexy that's kind of i'm like doing quiet storm psychedelic music yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's not it may not be for everyone but the people who get into it will really be into it that's what jerry garcia about said about their music he said you know we're like licorice you know the people a lot a lot of people like it but the people who do really really like it yeah yeah no i that, and i think that's what's going to happen here now i i do want to say before i go i i must i'd be remiss as a fan if i didn't ask you about this because there were rumblings have you been involved in any of this silver jews activity that we've been hearing about not really but i mean i see david every once in a while and um uh we're friends we're we're, we're good friends and i'm i'm just glad that he's being creative i don't really know what he's working on and i i don't want to go out of my i don't want to 
say anything I'm not supposed to, but, um, but I'm like the rest of the world. Hope we get more songs out of them, but I'm not sure when or if that's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about this, but Bob Nastanovich was on this show going on and on about stuff that was happening and they kind of <laughs> kind of made the news. And then David and I started corresponding and so I really want to talk to David. I've, I've spoken with David before uh, in an interview capacity and I want to do it again. And he, has suggested that maybe someday that would happen if he ever feels like talking. I think he thinks there's too much talking, just like you, just like me. <laughs> there might so, be. I, you know, it's really interesting because I, I actually did see David pretty recently, and we got into a conversation about this very thing. And I just had it to say, like, you know, it's it's really is I guess has something about the fact that you know now I'm confident enough as an adult and as an as an artist or whatever to kind of look David in the eye and talk to him as like, not an equal, but like not, not his side person or whatever. And I just said, David, I respect all this. You've lived in Nashville, you know, 15, 16 years. This town, this world needs you now more than ever. <laughs> like we live in an age of the worst lyrics ever being accepted as like the, something you can get behind. Like, you know, I don't, I don't probably didn't say it that hyperbolically to him, but I, I really was trying to like reassure him that, you know, and he knows he gets it. I mean, yeah, he, it, he's, and he hasn't gone anywhere. Like he said, so, um, I hope, I hope we get more silver juice or David Berman work. Yeah, I do too. And I, and I appreciate you feeling the question cause it's not really yours to answer, but you know, you're associated. So I thought I'd ask. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, William Tyler's new record is called Modern Country. It's out now via Merge Records, and he'll be touring over the next few months, playing select American and European cities uh, with Wilco, uh, and also some solo shows as well. For more information, visit MergeRecords.com. You have a website, too? It's WilliamTyler.net. It's sporadically updated, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) WilliamTyler.net for sporadic updates. MergeRecords.com maybe for more uh, frequent updates. Is that fair? Yeah, although to be totally transparent, I am in the process of revamping my website sometime this year. So We appreciate your openness about that matter. We need to be open. It's 2016. I mean, <laughs> come on, Edward Snowden. It's all about transparency. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. Now, is there a song from Modern Country that you would suggest we uh, go out on here, William? Um. Well, my personal favorite is the second track, I'm Going to Live Forever If It Kills Me. Kind of a Silver Jews title, if I might say. That's Definitely like a-, a Silver Jews title. It's 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 my it's my nod to seventies country uh, titles and puns, which is something David is a big student of. <laughs> but I just remember there was that when we were in, on tour that last Silver Jews tour, he had a he had the Ernest Tubb Record Shop catalog uh-huh. and like all their singles and like records of like all these obscure seventies and eighties country songs, and he would just marvel at like the weird brilliant dumb puns in the titles the parenthetical you know yeah the parenthetical is a big thing yeah so that's my that's my attempt at getting in the getting in the ring there on that one okay that sounds that sounds good well it's a lovely song and uh, i appreciate you choosing it this is i'm gonna live forever if it kills me by william tyler from his excellent new record modern country william this was a great pleasure and i thank you for your time and you know best of luck with everything going forward i really appreciated the conversation
I'm Gonna Live Forever If It Kills Me. Brand new music there by William Tyler from his excellent record, Modern Country. Thanks to William for being on this program. That was a good one. That felt like a good chat about all the poli- a lot of politics on the show. American politics. I'm not even American. But I talk about American politics on the show with Americans sometimes. That's just what happens. If you want to learn more about William Tyler, williamtyler.net. And you should check out his record, Modern Country, via Merge Records. And thanks to Merge for helping set this up. If you want to learn more about Creative Control of Vishkana, go to vishkana.com. There you will learn how to find the show and download the show and stream the show on iTunes, audioboom.com. You'll also learn about our Facebook page and our Twitter account, which is at vishcreative. You can also visit uh, patreon.com and look up the show and uh, decide if and for how long you'd like to make a monthly donation to the program to keep it uh, to the podcast to to, to keep it going to keep it going Uh, all donations are welcome and uh, that's all I have to say about that oh and also the uh, show exists as a proper radio program via CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph you can learn more about uh, that at CFRU.ca I just got back from seeing Brian Wilson perform uh, Pet Sounds at Massey Hall we were talking about the Beach Boys uh, on this episode, which was recorded a, a little while ago. Uh, William and I that were a little bit there with when we were talking about Jim O'Rourke. Anyway, it was a fantastic show, and I, I loved it. It was, you know, great. There was like 10 people on stage, and the vocal... I don't even understand the singing. So it was really fun, and I just got home, and uh, when I got home, there was a, a family of skunks in my driveway, crawling around my car, just like beneath my car kind of a weird end um, and all this to say I'm I'm gonna go to bed because I don't want to encounter the family they were cute but the family of skunks kind of weirded me out so that's it for me I'll talk to you soon goodbye for now Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.